Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sneaky Powerful Podcast, a podcast dedicated to somatic experiencing. My name is Ali Capurro, and I am a therapist in Boise, Idaho. I am also an SE enthusiast. I started this podcast to talk more about somatic experiencing and add my voice to a more trauma-informed society. Today's guest is Lexi Frank Newhall. She is a marriage and family therapist and SEP in Bozeman, Montana. She works specifically with women of all ages, and I was so excited to talk to Lexi about perinatal issues. Part of being a trauma-informed society is taking away the shame that is often attached to some of the things that we deal with internally. So after my husband and I had our second child, I went through some really uncomfortable and distressing postpartum depression and anxiety. Part of the pain that contributed to what I was going through had to do with the fact that I had this beautiful new baby and I was stressed all of the time. When our youngest turned about two months, there were some things that happened that triggered my survival physiology and I was in a pretty much chronic state of panic much of the time. I wish I would have known Lexi then. It would have been a much different experience. Let me share a little bit about Lexi before I start the interview. Lexi Frank Newhall was born and bred on the East Coast. In 2005, she left New York City to attend the California Institute of Integral Studies. There she completed the Integral Counseling Psychology Program and finished in 2008. Currently, Lexi works in Bozeman, Montana, where she also lives. She's a practitioner of integrative psychotherapy. Lexi specializes in working with women of all ages. I hope you enjoy the interview with Lexi as we cover various topics regarding women's issues and the very important topic of perinatal care. Hi, Lexi. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm really glad to be here with you, and I'm excited for um, all the questions I get to ask you. So thanks. You're welcome. Me too. So we have an interesting, because we were in the training together, our beginning and our intermediate. Yes. Actually, where did you do your first, your beginning one? Were you... I started just a module late. So I was in Montana, but I did it like a recorded version of the okay. very first one. That makes sense. And I know you're trained in Hakomi. Mm-hmm. I am. And so I feel curious if you don't mind telling us a little bit about how you got to SE. What led you to SE after your experience with Hakomi or whatever? I went to the California Institute. Institute of Integral Studies. And then I kind of organically found myself in the Hakomi community. And then I moved to Montana and I, Hakomi, the like hubs are really in the Bay area. And then there's, like I think a pretty big Denver, Colorado hub, mm-hmm. but my Hakomi community was like, it's not like that was so deep. I was, but like the people that I knew practicing that way really weren't in Montana. 
And I was, when I first got here, I was like looking up, like trying to find friends, clinician up friends. And so I was looking up like integral counseling and like just words that might include kind of my master's or Hakomi. And then even in my phone now, I still have a friend named Sabrina Bozeman Hakomi. And then I have like another friend who, uh, she doesn't practice Hakomi, but she did describe herself online as more like mindfulness and integral and things like that. And they actually introduced me to Abby. We just were like socially hanging out. And Abby, this is actually a really funny story. Abby was like, you should come to the somatic experience training that I do. Like you should, whatever. And I was like, sure. And I had known about SE before grad school and I'd taken a trauma class with somebody. I don't know who the faculty was, but I just don't know that I was like ready for it. And it wasn't really, I didn't really get it. And so long story short, I signed up for the training. I had no idea what a heavyweight Abby was. (laughs) I showed up for the training and at lunch, I like elbowed her and I was like, you're doing a great job. I love this. Like something like this is so amazing, or like something where I was like, "Wow, you're doing so like this is so great." But I definitely did not know like the beast that I was stepping into. (laughs) I love that story because I think it's first of all so accurate, especially if you would meet any, probably any of the faculty in the world without knowing anything. Yes, that's the beautiful thing. They're like so kind and compassionate and down to earth. And like our kids are the same age. Like we're like connecting as like moms and like, I don't want to, because the three of us all have, or the, whoever was hanging out that night, were just people, you know, like so I had no context. I knew SC was a big thing. I knew that the trainings were a big deal, but I told us when we've been like, this is so great. Thanks for telling me about it. And then later I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you're like, I'm so proud of you. I was a little like, wow, you're like so great at this. <laughs> Thank you. I think the listeners are going to appreciate that story. And I thought you were going to say you didn't know what you're stepping into. Because my joke is I, with my partner, I was like, I don't know if I was avoiding probably the conversation, but he's like, I thought this was like one or two weekends. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah, no, it's a lot. Yeah. No, even with a Comey way back when, like when my husband and I were just dating before we had kids and we're married, he'd be like, so when is this whole thing over? And I'd be like, oh, you know, I gave a couple more trainings. And even after these SE weekends, it's just so hard, you know, with like little kids. And he's like, when is this ever going to end? I'm like, it never, actually never. Now it's not like, oh, it's like technically over in December. No, it's like, this is just going to happen once every couple months. That's yeah. My kids, especially my little one is like, I I liked when you were just on Zoom. I don't want you to go. I know. I know. So actually that right there is a really good segue because one of the things that you specialize in, as far as I understand, is perinatal mental health. And then what I would love to share with our listeners is um, how you blend somatic experiencing, how it's sort of supported your practice with these women that are actually maybe even telling us a little bit about like, what are some of the things you see in your office? What are some of the issues or struggles? Sure. So 
Yeah, my reputation in town is definitely for perinatal mental health. I would say my caseload is a big range of women. Like it's almost all women. So I'll get referrals for people who are having prenatal issues. I sometimes have women that have been working with for a couple of years and then they get pregnant Uh or if they've had a traumatic birth experience. So they have already birthed a baby and it did not go according to plan or they're experiencing mental health issues later mm-hmm. that they get referred and then maybe they get pregnant again and we kind of work with that. So, you know, there's kind of like a 10 year window where like women are thinking about getting pregnant. They may be struggling to get pregnant. There may be an IVF story going on or, you know, a miscarriage that's happened, a loss that's happened. Uh, yeah, a birth experience or just a, a midwife or a doctor's kind of flag somebody and thinks that they they might be a good match. Right. Oh. Yeah. But I feel like there's kind of the before, during, after, and then depending on the number of kids or whether or not somebody wants to have a kid or whatever, but right. there's kind of this big window of time of that makes sense. Yeah. That period of pre, pre, during and post. Yeah, totally. Yeah. One of my favorite images of, is thinking of you like working with mom and baby together. Do you do that very much? Do you get to do that? I do. I feel like to, I definitely have babies in my office, but I would say the amount that I'm having mom and like the session is about mom and baby mm-hmm. is like definitely happens, but it's not a main, that's something I'm interested in, but I wouldn't say that's like a main thing that I'm doing, but there might be something where mom is feeling overwhelmed or there's something going on with attachment. And I might have the mom like hold her baby or kind of like look, you know, cause often the moms leave and come in and baby is asleep in the car seat. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and so I, they like the, they'll be napping like during a lot of the sessions. So I might have mom gaze at the baby. Abby has taught me stuff in individual consultation around how to work with babies who are um, C-section, like stuff around pressing the head. And then you can do some stuff with pressing the feet. So they have to like, you basically like press against their head and then they like put, they'll kind of like keep pushing and you they'll push like themselves like against your hand. So they're like moving on the mat a little bit. But I can't say that this is something I know a ton about. Abby does, has done a lot with that, but that working to get out the work, the like work that it takes, the mutual work by mom and baby to deliver when that gets interrupted somehow or didn't complete, Mm -hmm. that can be something that's worked on. And I've definitely touched on that with some moms for sure. I love that. I love it. My partner was a C-section baby. And I always think of that, like what it would be different because these things, that's what I love about SE, these things that are implicit in us that are kind of informing our lives a little bit that we're unaware of. And I know in trainings, I've heard Abby sort of address what you're talking about. I Did you find anything fascinating personally when you did the actual touching, like the infant's head and letting, and did the infant push towards your hand and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's the main person in the room for me is the mother. So I feel like there's this interaction, not that yeah, there's an interaction with the baby. And I think I'm kind of 
in the one example that I'm thinking of, I think there was a lot of me trying to tell the mom exactly what I was telling you of like, one thing that we're going to want to think about with baby is helping her work a little bit around the satisfaction of kind of completing things and kind of efforting. So I was doing it in a way that was more demoing than it was like me being able to track the like actual infant, but yeah. And also there's stuff that Abby has talked about with the feet where there's just a similar around pushing mm-hmm. and I feel like I remember demoing that same with that same case. So yeah, I, I, as much as I was there, it's kind of, it was kind of new material and these babies when they're like tiny, tiny are still really little. Like that's what I was thinking, like on a mat. Yeah. Yeah. If you have like a one, two, three month old, I mean, not many moms are coming in person. And now with COVID, most of my new moms, Zoom has been awesome. Like I actually don't, I do have one, I do have one dad, but, and he brings baby in, but so many moms, yeah, it's easier for them to just stay home because then baby can nap or be in like their little, you know, have their chew toys or mom can also put them in the carrier on her chest and like rock back and forth while we're talking. This would have saved me. I, with my second child, I had two months after she was born, I had some I guess you could call it postpartum issues, but for me, it was like such a catalyst to heal some of the trauma from the past. So it's in this bigger context now, but at the time in that, you know, whatever it was, July, 2011, it was hell. (laughs) And I think about if I could have, because I'm also kind of rural, like um, from Boise. So if I could have had like you via Zoom, my whole life would have been different. Yeah. One of my interns, she specifically is working, we were working together because she wants to help like ranching moms. Like she wants to help the rural Montana mom and because that was her experience. So the Zoom option is really helpful. And I think when you're looking at perinatal mental health, it is a safe thing to assume that there could be a background yeah. That's contributing to their, you are chronically out of your window of tolerance when there's a baby, a new baby in the house. That feels so validating. <laughs> yeah. Like, to like being up and partner stuff and nursing and it's just, you're, you're getting fried on every level. Mm-hmm. So whether I think people think that postpartum kind of is these first couple months, but sometimes women don't present any symptoms more until like six months after baby heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Which feels Um, confusing. Yeah. Just because of like, shouldn't I be out of that window, but how long does it go up to a year? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like at six months, it's like baby's more awake in the day, Like there's more awake, like more alertness, but I feel like that's when the like sleeplessness, like that's like when a lot of things have potentially compounded or some sort of friction in the partnership mm-hmm. or the fact that like baby was really jaundiced or didn't have a good APGAR score, or like came it, the way that baby was delivered can really start like hitting home where it's like, that didn't really, that was really scary. I was hemorrhaging and like, or whatever the story is. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like the birth person is like, kind of like, whoa, this is all hitting now. I, this feels actually really important. And I'm actually, I got this wave of 
gratitude that we're talking about this because I was thinking about um because there's this maybe myth or expectation that it's supposed to be such a happy time and the intensity well first of all I remember with our firstborn we both looked my partner and I looked at each other and we were like that's birth I feel like we were just in a major car accident Yes. Like that was insanity. (laughs) And it was a healthy, good birth for the most part, you know, but the intensity and then, yeah, raising a child continued on like that. They cried a lot. I mean, most, so many women have never been to a hospital before. Right. I mean, so many women, or even I feel like so many women a big thing that comes up is like just challenging how challenging it is to get pregnant. So I feel like, yeah, delivery is there's blood, there's mucus, there's feces, there's urine, there's stitching. There's, I mean, it's a huge thing. (laughs) And I feel like people are really scared about it going into it. And some women really like kind of take they're very assertive about their birth plan and try to kind of come like really kind of tackle that. And some people, I don't, it just, it kind of just takes people by surprise, no matter how, how you go into it. But yeah, it is a little bit. And then you like have to take a baby home. <laughs> like you have a diaper on essentially. Like, <laughs> you know, you're like, depending, or you have stitches because you had a cesarean right? and God willing, you had a healthy delivery, you know, like God, like there could be a loss there. And then you have this like car seat and this tiny baby. And you're just like, like dumbstruck, like a deer in headlights. Right. I I was just talking about this photo the other day, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember or know of that, of Chrissy Teigen and John Legend's story. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how old the baby was, but in still in her womb. And I remember he took a photo of her on the hospital bed and it was like a black and white photo and she's just got her head in her hands. And it is such a painful, obviously, picture, but so beautiful that he mm-hmm. captured it. it, it anyway, it, I feel a lot of gratitude that you work with women and people mm-hmm. and families going through that stuff because we need I'm you. Not- yeah, I'm on the board, but Bozeman also has this nonprofit that I'm on the board of called Roots Family Collaborative. And we have a variety of resources for families. So we have a loss group. We also have this event that just happened in May called Moms Like Me. We've thought about changing it to like families like me, but and like, or parents like me, so like make it more inclusive. But for the last several years, it's been Moms Like Me. And for now, that that is the name of it. But it is about these like various stories around normalizing just this whole crazy roller coaster that is conception or adoption, delivery, mm-hmm. postpartum, and some of the dark stuff that you think it should be all like kind of blissed out. And mm-hmm. couples are often fighting mm-hmm. or there's the flea response, like one partner is just super checked out or like, women start drinking there's just just shit it's life you know it's like it's it's just life and I think that's the weird part about it is it's kind of like death like it's this really normal thing and so you think 
oh yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be different having a baby, but it's what everyone does. And then you live it and you're like, what, what the hell? Yeah. What is this? Because yeah. this is not, <laughs> that's, I appreciate that. Yeah. I wanted to, I want to make sure to talk about what you do, like specifically how Essie has kind of supported that. But I was also thinking of someone um, in my life that recently had a baby that they had to do a little surgery on, you've probably, you're probably more familiar than me, but on the band at the bottom of his esophagus, I think. Basically there was a lot of acid reflux and food Uh coming back and he wasn't getting nutrients because it was too small. And it's like, she, I, one of the statistics said like 25% of infants have acid reflux, have reflux. And, and, and then had to have to have this procedure to widen it a little bit. But I was thinking I'm going to be watching with my heart, <laughs> this person, because I just want to make sure, because that's a lot to go through. Cause I think he's, he had the procedure about four weeks because basically he wasn't getting nutrients and so was losing weight. And I was thinking, gosh, what's that like for a mom speculatively? It's hard because I feel like as SE practitioners, we walk this line of like the instant, the medical institution is there to help. And that sounds like the right choice for that family. But the tracking around weight gain for babies can be really harmful for moms. There can be a lot of injury around nursing. Breast is best, like this kind of trend, which was in response to a trend back in like the 80s and 90s around just giving formula. Right, right. But there can be a lot of, there's a lot that doctors are doing that I, I totally appreciate around jaundice, weight gain, just certain things that you're kind of like trying to make sure the baby's staying on track. And I know a lot of moms where baby isn't gaining weight and that can be like a different kind of anxiety. But in the case of your friend, it can be a lifesaver too, because the baby needs to get the nutrients. Mm -hmm. So, but then similar to what we were just talking about, we forget that delivering a baby is a major medical event that will include for many a hospital, some people birth at home. Sometimes you plan to birth at home and then you're uh-huh. medically moved to the hospital because it's not the the like window of what needs to be happening for it to be a successful home birth is going to be like everything pretty much needs to be going right. And I've definitely worked with a lot of moms who have had amazing home births. And I've definitely worked with a lot of moms where it did not go okay. And they had to take the ambulance to the hospital and, and baby was still delivered and things Mm -hmm. like that. But then sometimes babies have issues around their own medical issues. And then there's a whole nother medical potential trauma going on for the family. And, you know, you're kind of just like headspun because you just delivered a baby. So it's hard. It's just hard to know what, what to do. Absolutely. And you're trained in it. <laughs> and so, yeah, as, as the bystanders or the family or the friends supporting or the partner, gosh, that's actually, I think it's really helpful to just sometimes with new parents, you don't have this opportunity, but to have people in your life that you can run medical questions by, or like attend appointments with you, like pick uh-huh. a medical person who's like not so emotionally invested so that they can almost take notes for you so that you know what happened after the doctor's appointment. 
but yeah, if baby isn't in my, even in my own postpartum story, I definitely had some postpartum anxiety and did not, was not producing enough milk, felt super ashamed about it. I lived in San Francisco at the time. I remember just really inappropriate people asking me if I was nursing and I was whatever, but then yeah, like the meat, the extent that moms will go to, to have it all look the way that they think it should. Like I had anyway, one person was like, you know, your son has a tongue tie and I had his tongue clipped. And I think in the long run, it was fine. It's not a particularly like pain or it's not a horrible thing to do, but the anxiety about weight gain can lead moms to get really more. So this is SE. It gets them. It was the amount that I was pumping was to the point where I was like probably harming myself. Like I was on the pump all the time and it was actually disrupting my attachment to my boy. I was so anxious about producing and I was so hard on myself about not making enough milk Mm -hmm. that I was probably not really eye gazing or relaxing. I was shaming and sad and angry at my part, you know, like just being grouchy or more than grouchy. And that probably is like disrupting the attachment bonding opportunity. And there's a lot of grief about that. So that's a lot. I said so many things. And I think for your friend, it's, it's great that they caught that. And then my therapeutic ear goes up around when people are getting some feedback from like, when does baby need a little bit more time to get his or her like nursing online or like whatever needs to happen or like the latch going versus you got to hit the stats. You got to hit the stats. We're going to go in medic, like do a surgery. And it's like, do you need like, do just come in like pump the brakes for one second. When do you need to like intervene? And then when do you just need to give baby and mom some time to like move through a thing? Right. I appreciate your pieces of your story. I really connected with a lot of those pieces the pressure and I, yeah, cause I, right now I remember with my firstborn, first of all, I had Raynaud syndrome. Have you, oh, I'm and not that sure. was that <laughs> terrible. So people get it mostly in their fingers and hands, right. or I'm sorry, toes, their extremities. So I got it in, I'll use the word nipples because that's where I had this it. And this is the baby, the baby episode. And so the things that you do, like maybe expose yourself to air to kind of heal the wounds was like murdering. It was like, oh my gosh. So anyway, it took a while to get that figured out, but my firstborn had trouble. um, We latching was a problem, but yeah, the same thing, like people going, you're starving her. And I'm like, "I, I don't, I don't think I am. And it is, it's, it's just a lot. A lot, a lot. A lot. And you have a lot of specialists who like kind of sit in their specialty and are trying to help from their specific little lens. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like a little disjointed. There can be lactation consultants that really are like breast is best and might override some of the like physical symptoms. And then some lactation consultants can be really great about supplementing. and, And it's like also about finding a match in your postpartum you need help postpartum and where that comes in and how to advocate for yourself. It's like, you don't know what questions to ask because yeah, you don't, you maybe don't know what's coming. So it's like, you just, I, 
I think a lot of moms feel like baby's just going to latch. There's all these holes. There's like the football hold, the crossbody hold. <laughs> you can have a nipple shield. You can have this, this, like, like lanolin was in. Like, I don't know, certain things are in and then they're out. And like. Totally. You're like, oh, um, man, I just totally poisoned my baby. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And like, oh, yeah. And then you're, and then you're just trying to like wade through, you know, even like Vaseline is like made out of petroleum. Like, it's like just stuff where the poor mamas, these like moms, you're like. Like, are these companies out to get me? Can I use formula? Now there's this whole like recall on formula and like people can't get it. Then you come to read that this like Abbott, this one company like owns all these other companies. And like, it just gets into this web of like, like, uh, it's so overwhelming. So that's actually a good, because as you did that backed up in your chair, I was thinking, and we're not even, we don't even have infants that need formula right now. Yeah. What? And we're feeling it. So like, what would be something if someone came to you today with that? I can feel it in my throat, just that panic of, I can't, like my baby needs food. What the hell am I going to do? What are, what are some SE or, or things that you would do in your office or over Zoom to settle me down, Lexi? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it was, yeah, I feel like anytime somebody is in a threat response, our bodies. And so, like I said, like this stage of life is naturally pushing us out of our window of tolerance, but there'd be a lot about finding resources and kind of learning. Yeah. Just like learning how to trust yourself, leaning on your partner, good community, like really kind of zeroing in on communication skills I mean, not being able to feed your baby is pushing somebody into a survival response. That's pretty profound. Yes. yes. So just also naming that. And if, if it was a formula, like if I were to get very literal about your question, I feel like we'd first do a little just like figuring out how mom could supplement and make sure her baby's getting enough food. So you, you kind of have to like think about your town and How much is the baby relying on formula? What formula is available? What's going, can you contact a pediatrician? Just like a little case management or kind of crisis management around that. Yeah. Settle the fire or calm. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that they're, and like, I do think that medical providers are really amazing with even my little boy just had a physical the other day and we were at, so we were at the pediatricians and they had a, we were checking out and there was like a little, a huge stash of formula I could see in the pediatrician's office. And then my nonprofit, like we have a little stash and this were like social network or social media, whatever you call that. Like Facebook, it's like also some women have a surplus of milk and you can buy milk. Like you can buy breast milk. I I mean, there is like, that's like, seems like black market, but like, anyway, people, that is like a thing that happens. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so anyway, I go into like some management of that. And then I might have her just really track the sensations and like what it's like to kind of get out of the window and what it's like to come back into the window. Can she identify the difference between being in and out? Yeah. And then what can she do to like kind of support longer windows of being in? And like, what about, what about the early postpartum days? Is it like you just get a little bit more clear about what is the struggle exactly. Mm-hmm. I actually have become, I do, I would say a lot of my cases do take 
um, medication postpartum. Like I'm not, you know, if their anxiety to me, the the connection between the person who delivered a baby and their baby is the most important thing. So a baby having a little bit of Zoloft in their system or a little bit of sertraline, I just don't care. If that's getting mom back in her window, once baby's one, we'll talk about whether she wants to wean off and then work a little bit more deeply on regulation skills. But I try to stabilize merit, the marriage, communication, mom's biology, and then focus on connecting with baby. I love that structure you just offered. That's oh, that's lovely. And I, yeah, that was another piece of my story with my second child was at about, I don't, when did I do that? Two, so it was hard at two months. At some point soon after, maybe three or four months, when she was three or four months old, I started sertraline. And it was, so this was 2011. So there was even less research and it was, it helped greatly. And there was a crap ton of anxiety, like, oh gosh, is this hurting her? And it's so relieving to hear now, like that it was not basically. No, I would rather, much rather have a regulated parent. Yeah. And trace amounts. It's trace amounts of the medication in the breast milk. Right. So it's like, you know, I also come back to were we really like, I just think about my own early days in San Francisco. And then with my second, we were in Bozeman. And in both cases, we were between a thousand and two thousand miles from family. And it's like, are were moms meant to like, are families meant to do this? Of course, I just, there's this part of me that's like, our hormones are cranking, not to keep us anxious, but to help baby. And I feel like when you then compound that with the isolation of a mom, mm-hmm. and then you, if a mom's coming in, there's prop, there's like maybe some attachment or trauma issues going on. It's like, are we going to be doing her deepest work <laughs> right now? Right. No. Right. Are we just try to like make sure she's kind of like accessing a part where she can make good decisions and feel like more spacious and less contracted. That feels like such a win. I don't want moms who are like, I don't remember my the first year with the baby because I was so anxious. Or yeah. Talk about grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I, that you're, I'm remembering you're taking me back to that time, which is so fascinating because that was another piece of it being kind of feeling a little isolated. And then I also had a almost three-year-old and feeling the pressure of, in her grief, like losing my full attention and I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm failing everyone. And then, yeah, talk about a spiral. That was that was hard. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So even just like, I mean, without getting too broad, but we don't support vulnerable people that much. I don't think like, I, I, I feel like vulnerability can be something that does get just generally isolated. So the amount of need going on in a family with multiple people who have had, the mother has high needs. She needs like be resting and like eating nutritious food and Uh, not doing anything. And like, there's no real mat leave in both in Montana, like the mat, the maternity leave stuff is like varied by state by state. It depends on the company you work for, but um, you know, the like grief back going back to work and you're kind of a step ahead, but 
the toddler has not a lot of needs, the dad, I mean, most moms are not like ready to get busy. Not that I'm not saying that men are just like, look, or the partner is just looking for that, but there's a connection in the, in the partnership that can be, it's so baby focused that it's just, it's such a shakeup and every single member of the family <sighs> is like kind of got the thousand yard stare. Totally. Actually, I, that's also part of what was painful is seeing seeing that stare in my husband's eyes. Yeah. And and going, oh my gosh, whatever fears, you know, insecurities. He's going to leave. He hates this. He hates me. You know, and just the irrational brain going, being hijacked by anxiety. Yeah. Oh, this is lovely to talk to normalize some of these things, and I hope. That um, yeah, anyone listening out there gets to he- to feel that normalization and naming. Like even when you named the threat response, I was like, yeah, exactly. Like these things that maybe I'm feeling or someone's describing feeling, they're so normal within when you look at it through, for example, somatic experiencing or survival physiology. What would you do with someone? I had someone years ago who was having a really hard time connecting with baby was like, mm-hmm. I don't like being a mom. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I would maybe just give, I, I in addition to SE, I also really hold attachment stuff. So there's the, yes. there's the like threat response and there's kind of this like traumatic, like the polyvagal theory and like, the biology and stuff of what's going on. But when I think about connection and, I mean, not feeling social engagement can be a reflection of being in the threat response. So I feel like there's the part of me that's evaluating, is this a symptom of mom being in her threat response to the point where she can't engage? So it's actually a measure of her, like how out of the window she is, or is there an attachment injury history around like avoidant attachment style coming in? Babies are like very demanding. I mean, I say that I, I laugh when I say that, but it's like their need for touch people get very touched out, you know, like you're, you're like physically staying on you all the time. So if mom is already struggling to like with her own ability to connect with herself. So I'm kind of like evaluating there about what, where the doorway is of like, what is she really talking about? What's preventing the connection and just also really making room and having faith that, you know, there's often there might be a story that's leading to that. Like maybe she didn't want a baby to begin with, or maybe the pregnancy was unexpected, or maybe she's feeling disconnected from her partner, or maybe she, it's like, I feel like there's more digging to do there, but I feel like what initially can come is like, there's just this alarm of like, and in San Francisco, there were literally signs on all these doors that everywhere there was like, don't shake the baby. Um, yeah, there's like something that people do where they kind of lose it and they're like, sh- like trying to shush and it, it can be lethal. But, um, I feel like shaking the baby 
or saying that you don't feel connected, it raises this alarm in people that's kind of like, as opposed to curiosity. Yes, yes, yes. I think I would just be a little bit more inquisitive of like Mm -hmm. trying to assess from what angle is this coming? Yes. And I think naming it for moms already makes them feel more connected to themselves and which allows them to connect more to baby. Right. And, and what you're talking about, even witnessing, just witnessing and not being afraid of it. Like you said, like, let's get curious instead of the, oh my gosh, you're horrible. Like, no, like you should feel like this. It's like, uh, no, there's like, or, you know, that's not, that's not, this space is not, is not going to be like that. Um, and maybe at the same time, it's assessing to like, how does that baby have what's dad's involved? What's the partner's involvement? Like, is there someone who is connecting or is more available in the household to just let mom be where she is for a moment? You know, gosh. So I'm, yeah, 11, almost 11 years out from that experience with my second baby. And I'm through this conversation, I'm drawing even more insight into my whole journey. It's actually really fascinating. I'm like, I'm going to have to like get off and go journal. (laughs) This is good stuff. To wrap up just for fun, what keeps you inspired, hopeful? What are you doing lately that's keeping you? Yeah. How do you stay resourced lately? Mm. Well, spring, Montana, probably is like Idaho, the winter gets long. We are like probably just a couple days into sunshine. So I am definitely like a solar charged Leo. Um, and I just need to move. I need to wake. I like this SEH, but I like feel like I need to move my body to get my motor running in the morning. So, but I do that in a pretty tender way. So I try to get up and move many days. I am liking poetry and I, it's really speaking. It's just been speaking to me. So uh, David White and Rilke and are the main two books that I have going right now. Yes. I kind of just say things that you can't really, anyway, like I just, that just touches me. I've been doing a training, an attachment training, some attachment stuff is kind of yeah. moving me just clinically. And then those are some big ones. I feel like I've been reading a book um, called Intuitive Eating, which has been around for a really long time. Yeah. I feel like Intuitive Eating, this book is kind of touching me because the, some of the attachment stuff, there's kind of an inward, even the poetry, I feel like there's like an inward direction that I've been playing with in my personal life that feels really informative. And I feel like as I cultivate that more, it's helpful in the room and it feels good for myself. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of strengthening that muscle a little bit. I love that. I can relate to that. Yeah. We're probably 
Oh, you're probably a few years younger than me, but I was thinking maybe it's that age. I don't know, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling very similarly. I can understand. I can relate. So I guess that's, I guess that's it for this one. Um, but thank you so much. I feel like I got a jam packed educational session right there. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. And if I don't talk to you before, I'll see you in October. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good lunch. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sneaky Powerful Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. We would love to get some feedback. You can find more about Lexi Frank Newhall at her website, which is her name, LexiFrankNewhall.com. Of course, Somatic Experiencing is at TraumaHealing.org. And Sneaky Powerful is SneakyPowerful.com. I look forward to seeing you next time on Sneaky Powerful.